London Calling. London Walks Connecting. London Walks here with your daily London fix. Story time, history time. The lawlessness of it, that's the first thing that jumps out at you. The lawlessness of it at the very moment of the law's climacteric. Those final ticks against time of the red bomb of the living heart. That there should be a storm of violence going on right then. All around that ticking time bomb. You can't help but, excuse the expression, clock that. That's the first thing. The second thing is, this was a criminal who wanted to be in the spotlight. A criminal who wanted as much attention and publicity as he could get. That's the polar opposite of -of run-of-the-mill criminals. The polar opposite of the normal criminal modus operandi. They don't want to be observed. They don't want to be noticed. They're furtive. They come out at night. They work secretly. They work in the shadows. Do their deeds in the dark. Not our man, though. But he was no ordinary criminal. He was the greatest criminal mastermind of the 18th century. And his was no ordinary execution. And yes, it took place today. In London. At Tyburn Tree. London's principal killing ground. We call it Marble Arch today. Okay, time to introduce our mystery guest. Introduce the greatest criminal mastermind of the 18th century. Introduce the star attraction that day at Tyburn. Step forward, Jonathan Wild. Jonathan Wild, thief taker. Jonathan Wild, just turned 38. Jonathan Wild, Wolverhampton bred and born. Jonathan Wild, son of a carpenter and a fruit seller. Jonathan Wild, who abandoned his wife and infant son and came to London. Jonathan Wild, buckle maker, who bucked the system. Jonathan Wild, who fought the law and the law lost. Until today, May 24th, 1725. Jonathan Wild's fighting the law and the law losing. That project began to take shape from his earliest days in London. He was arrested for debt and locked up in the Wood Street Compter. Steve walks by there on his Shakespeare and Dickens walk on Sunday afternoon. The Wood Street Compter was Jonathan's university of crime. Four years he was there, but he didn't do hard time. He quickly gained the confidence of the keepers. They granted him the liberty of the gate. That was some privilege. It meant he could go out at night and help arrest thieves. He was paid for running errands. It wasn't a bad gig at all. And, of course, he was schooled and schooled well by the petty criminals and prostitutes who were the stock in trade of the Wood Street Compter. Basically, Jonathan Wilde became a bounty hunter and a pimp, receiving stolen goods, extortion, operating a protection racket. Those criminal practices followed as a matter of course. For good measure, Jonathan Wilde was a bigamist. Counting Jonathan Wilde's wives is an inexact science. The best guess is six. That's wives. That's not counting his mistresses. He was all over the newspapers. Both coverage of his activities and daily ads that he took out 
calling loudly for all sorts of strayed valuables to be brought in to Mr. Wilde's in the Old Bailey, upon promise of great rewards and no questions asked. Receiving stolen property was a felony. He cleverly sidestepped that law by never keeping the goods in his possession. The victim who'd been burgled or robbed was only too happy to pay something to get his property back. The thief got rewarded for his services and then kicked some of it back to Jonathan Wilde. It quickly reached the point where Wilde was controlling gangs of thieves, sending them out to rob and plunder to bring in more business. He'd sometimes play both ends against the middle, get paid for reuniting the crime victim with his property, and then get paid for turning the thief into the law. Be interesting to know how many thieves met their end at Tyburn, swinging from a noose, compliments of Jonathan Wilde's cashing them in, supremely confident, of course, and misplaced confidence it was, that their end wasn't prefiguring his own end. There's no question, but Jonathan Wilde became a celebrity. He called himself the Thief-Taker-General of England and Ireland. He styled himself Esquire. He wore a sword, kept a carriage, and footmen. He was a big deal. A whiff of Jonathan Wilde and his activities might have been just about passable from a distance. Up close, that passable whiff turned into a bad stink. By way of example, this advertisement Wilde placed in the Daily Post in 1724. Lost! The 1st of October! A black shagreen pocketbook, edged with silver, with some notes of hand. The said book was lost in the Strand, near Fountain Tavern, about 7 or 8 o'clock at night. If any person will bring aforementioned book to Mr. Jonathan Wilde in the Old Bailey, he shall have a guinea reward. Wilde's biographer has decoded the ad. David Noakes says, The advertisement is extortion. Notes of hand means signatures. So Wilde already knows the name of the notebook's owner. What's more, Wilde is using the advertisement to tell the notebook's owner that he knows what he was doing at the time. He knows because the Fountain Tavern was a brothel. The real purpose of the ad is to threaten the owner. We'll go public with the fact that you were at a whorehouse. Finally, that mention of the guinea reward? That's what it's going to cost you to buy our silence. It's flat-out extortion. As for Wilde's downfall? Well, it's classic hubris and nemesis. Jonathan Wilde had become so notorious that the authorities found themselves obliged to take notice of him. Scholars think that there was considerable heel-dragging on that count because some of the authorities were on the take themselves. Corruption. There's never just one rotten apple. By its very nature, it spreads. As for the public turning against him, Jonathan Wilde's involvement in the arrest and prosecution of one of the most famous criminals of the day, Jack Shepard, tipped the balance. The press championed Shepard's cause, portrayed him as an underdog hero who had resisted having any dealings with Wilde. Jack Shepard became the poster boy for the press's denunciation of the scandalous practice of thief-catching. 
It was all up for the thief-taker general of Great Britain. He was tried and convicted, sentenced to death by hanging. Everything had broke his way for so many years. Come the end, he couldn't catch a break. Tried to commit suicide the night before his execution. Took laudanum. Took too much laudanum. He threw it up. And so, as the Evening Post put it, he lived to be hanged. And lived to have to go through that terrible preamble to his execution. The feral lawlessness that I mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast. In the words of one eyewitness account, Hostile spectators pressed in upon the death cart, jeering at him and pelting him so violently with stones that blood flew from him plentifully. Yes, Jonathan Wilde was stoned before he was hanged. Stop and consider for a moment. You've got a condemned man pleading, Hurry, please, please get me there. Please get me to the hangman. You want historical absinthe undiluted. You've got it right there. At that moment, on this day in London history. Can't leave you there, though. Let's move on. Get back here to today in London. Well, not quite today, but it'll be worth waiting for. For nearly 700 years, public executions shaped the city we know today. Come next October, the Museum of London Docklands is mounting a major new exhibition on that strand of the London Weave. It'll showcase items rarely seen before, ranging from the last letters of the condemned to the vest worn by King Charles I when he was executed to, yes, a recreation of the Tyburn Gallows. You've been listening to the Today in London History podcast, emanating from www.walks.com, home of London Walks, London's multi-award-winning walking tour company. Indeed, London's only award-winning walking tour company. The London Walks banner bears the device. It all comes down to the guiding. With London Walks, uniquely, you'll be guided by accomplished professionals, barristers, doctors, geologists, historians, Royal Shakespeare Company actors, museum curators, the creme de la creme of blue badge guides, and, yes, a former Museum of London archaeologist. Guides who make the new familiar and the familiar new. And on that agreeable note, come then, let us go forward together on some great London walks. Good luck and good Londoning. See you tomorrow.